Thursday, February 13th here at Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to our Week 2 XFL podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaaf. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And yes, today's show will just be previewing this weekend's second week of XFL action, but that's not all we're doing at DraftSharks.com these days. This time of year, most of our work is behind the scenes. We're gearing up to start hitting the site with our annual Dynasty Prospect Profile series, where we get to know the incoming rookies from both the stat side and the film side. And if you're jumping into best ball drafting for the 2020 season already, then Jared's got some early rankings posted on DraftSharks.com right now, including those rookies that we're digging into. Jared, I think that you know I always read your rankings just looking for something to pick on and start <laughs> arguing about. Honestly, though, and I, I looked at this set and I could not find any big ones that that felt that made me feel like I needed to argue about them. That's, I mean, that's good. I think, I mean, I, I'm not really sure what to think of that, but um, I, I guess it's good for now. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna plan on updating those. I think like once a month until, um, you know, our, our projections hit the site this spring. Um, I, I did a cursory look at all the rookies just to get an idea, and you kind of figure out where they're gonna go to slot them in the rankings. But well, I think we'll have a better idea of where those guys belong in the redraft rankings after we get through these these dynasty prospect profiles that we do. And it can be particularly good to do some of this early drafting to get some of those guys because almost across the board, they're going to climb in ADP after the NFL draft, after they have teams, after we know where they're going in the draft. So if you want to get some shares, now is a good time to buy relatively low. Obviously, some guys will you know land in disappointing spots and, and might fall down in ADP a little bit. But in general, it's good time now to go after those rookies, and we'll certainly be digging further into him. I think if, if nothing else, it's a clear sign that I don't have my projections done yet to know who I disagree with you about, because we're at the point of the year where I even sometimes surprise myself about how I think of certain players. Yeah. And, and I'm sure once I start doing projections, I'll have some guys that move way up or down those rankings. That This is just more of a, more of a gut feel rank than, you know, anything, uh, you know, scientific. Mm-hmm. If you are a DS insider, you can check out Jared's rankings on DraftSharks.com. Keep an eye out for the beginning of our Dynasty Prospect Profile series. That'll start right after the NFL Scouting Combine. And you just might find some other off-season content popping up. Stuff like reliability rankings, our annual report card, uh, where we review ourselves. Really, just anything else that we come across that seems worth covering. That's the time of year it is. For now, though, this year... It's time to focus on week two of the XFL. And just like last week, we're going to go game by game through the four-game slate for the weekend. It starts with the New York Guardians at the D.C. Defenders on Saturday at 2 p.m. The Defenders are six-and-a-half-point favorites, according to Vegas right now. And, Jared, starting off with the Guardians, I think QB Matt McGloin is okay. But at 9,900 on DK, I'd generally just rather pay up to Cardale Jones at 10-2 or go down to Landry Jones at 9,500. Yeah, I agree. Um, McGloin at that price won't be in play for me this week on DraftKings. I, I think New York won their week one game mostly with defense. You know, they, they were actually last in the XFL in total yards in week one. Um, they were fifth in yards per play. McGloin was okay, you know, 15 for 29, 182 yards, one TD, zero interception. So he didn't do anything to hurt the team, but he, he didn't you know, he wasn't special on the stat sheet. Didn't really look special to me. This isn't an offense in general I'm super excited about despite their week one win. And he uh, inflated his fantasy line with a rushing touchdown. He's certainly not 
a runner. So keep that in mind as you look at his stats and the other QB stats heading to week two. The wide receivers are are interesting. Mikael McKay still mm-hmm. is way too expensive, I think, to be a good option. You know, obviously, if you're building a bunch of lineups, maybe you toss him in one of them. But his salary is up 300 from last week. He's one of the most expensive players at any position. And it's even I'm even less interested because he, Joe Horn, and Colby Pearson were each about even in playing time and in routes run last week. Right. This is one of the teams where we so far it looks like we have a pretty clear top three at wide receiver with those three guys you mentioned. You know, they they were all you know above seventy percent of the snaps. They were all above ninety percent of the routes run. Joe Horn, he's easily the cheapest on DraftKings at thirty four hundred bucks. Caught just two balls for 27 yards in the opener, but he led the team with eight targets. Um, it was a 27.6% target share for Joe Horn, which was second highest in the league in week one. So he's the guy I'm interested in this wide receiver core. I agree. Colby Pearson led the group in playing time, but they were mm-hmm. all three within three passing down snaps of each other. So they were basically equal in playing time. Pearson was the only player on the team with multiple deep targets, according to Pro Football Focus. That's balls thrown 20 plus yards downfield. So there's some upside to him. You'll also have to pay a little bit for it, though. He's at 7,200 bucks. Did run around every passing snap last week. Mm-hmm. So like, if I have built a lineup and there's money left over, maybe I'll consider him. But I'm with you that yeah. Joe Horn Jr., at 3400 bucks is the most intriguing play here, the one I'm most likely to use. And really, the Guardians could be passing significantly more in Week 2 if game flow goes against them more than it did in Week 1. They had a lopsided win against Tampa Bay at home because the Vipers kept turning the ball over. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, you know, the fact that road underdogs could mean more passing volume here. Joe Horn is the best you know, pure value among these wide receivers, but the pricing was so soft last week and I'm sure it's a bit tighter this week I haven't really tried to build any lineups yet but it was so soft last week that you you know you 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 could build a lineup and have you know two thousand bucks left over pretty easily so I think you know someone like Pearson might actually be a better play if he's going to be you know significantly less owned than Joe Horn just because Joe Horn is half the price yeah and it's probably too early to know a whole lot about ownership at this point too but I I agree with with all that and what we said last week like don't worry about trying to maximize the salary cap and spend as much on your lineup as you can. Because even though we have now have one weekend of games to look at, it's still just one weekend of games. Stuff's going to change this week. Yep, definitely. In the Guardians' backfield, Darius Victor actually played just one fewer snap than Tim Cook. If you look at the usage, it looks like Tim Cook's the lead back. He outcarried Victor 9-4. to four, mm-hmm. But Victor beat Cook in targets 3-1. to one. And like I said, Playing time was basically even between the guys. So when you factor in that Tim Cook is the more expensive guy, they're, they're both really in the range where the salary doesn't matter. I think if I had to pick one of them, I'm going to go for the guy that got more passing game work in week one, though. Yeah, me too. And like you mentioned, uh, three targets for Victor to one for Cook. Victor ran 12 pass routes versus Cook's eight. So, you know, slight edge to Victor in all those spots. I'll note, too, that DC, uh, New York's week two opponent, allowed... 4.9 yards per carry to Seattle running backs in week one. So, you know, you, you don't want to put too much into these defensive numbers yet after just one week, but it, it looks like it could be a positive rushing matchup for the Guardians this week. Yeah, and that's also worth keeping in mind because, as I mentioned, they're both down in the 4K range on DraftKings. I think week one told us that running back is not the place that you want to pay up right now. We had 16 offensive touchdowns in week one. Only four of them were rushing only two of those came from running backs, and only one offensive touchdown came by came on the ground by a running back 
who led his team in carries in week one. That guy ran nine times in that game. Yeah, I mean, there is not a single running back in the XFL right now that I'm excited to play. There are a few guys who got good usage in week one, but, you know, the the production didn't follow. So, to me, running back should be the last spot you fill out on your roster when you're building them on DraftKings this week. Just, you know, get everything else set, and then depending on what you have, just sort of sort of fill in whatever fits at running back. Mm-hmm. For what it's worth, these guys are a bit more expensive on FanDuel relative to the field, so uh, less attractive over there. On the D.C. side... DeAndre Tompkins was back to full participation this week, missed last week with a foot injury, so it looks like he should return to action, and he has been listed ahead of Rashad Ross on the team's depth chart, so this should be a significant return, and assuming that he's all good and back in the starting lineup, I mean, Tompkins could be the top playing time guy at the position, top target even for D.C., yeah, Tompkins uh, listed ahead of Rashad Ross, also listed ahead of Eli Rogers, who you know led this team with six targets in Week One, led this team in routes run in Week One. So I don't, I don't know how much to put into these depth charts. That said, um, I think Rashad Ross was a guy I would already fade in Week Two, just based on what he did in Week One. He did catch the long touchdown, but had just two targets, played just fifty nine percent of the snaps. He's still ninety nine hundred bucks on DraftKings. So even before the Tompkins news, Ross was a guy. I was going to fade. Tompkins returning only makes that an easier call for me. Yeah, and Ross with Tompkins out was still third among defenders, wide receivers in playing time last week. Malachi Dupre led the way. Eli Rogers just behind him. Both of those guys played about 80% of the pass plays. I would expect Tompkins to be in that range this week. He did generate some buzz in training camp from, you know, from what we could gather from what was reported. And Cardell Jones had a big week last week, even with no DeAndre Tompkins in the lineup, had those touchdown passes from 39 and 31 yards out. He dominated pro football focus QB grading for the week. Like he was, he was not only a top graded quarterback, but way ahead of the next two guys on the list. So getting what should be their top wide receiver back, I think, you get Tompkins at 3,600. Mm-hmm. I think he combines with Cardell Jones, who is expensive, to make for an attractive stack because Tompkins can make up for what you have to spend for Jones. Yeah, Cardell Jones is my favorite quarterback play this week. And, I, and we'll talk about Philip Walker. Um, I think his big week one is going to make him more popular than Cardell Jones. And they're priced right around the same area. Like you said, Cardell Jones was PFF's top graded passer in week one. Also had nine carries for 28 rushing yards, you know, which wasn't a surprise, but nice to see that he is going to give us some added value on the ground. At running back, Jarrell Presley, 12 carries, just 31 yards last week, but he did take 75% of the team's running back rushes in that game. Mm-hmm. All four of the others went to Donnell Pumphrey, so I think Jarrell Presley is the lead back here like we expected. Both of these guys drew three targets. There was a difference of one route between them with Presley running one more pass route than uh, Pumphrey. So Jarrell Presley's still up there in price. He looks expensive relative to running backs, but it's mm-hmm. down 900 from last week. And if you look at them, together all the running backs with all the pass catchers then the running back prices look better for the flex spot but I do think that Jarrell Presley is in play for lineups this week yeah I definitely think Presley's in play I think he's a good combination of you know projected volume Um, I I thought he looked pretty good in week one PFF had him with the second most missed tackles forced as a runner in week one so again you know they they sort of they thought he played well and then I just like this DC offense I think DC and Houston are the two offenses I'm most excited about heading into week two and DC is a home favorite here so it's you know a good spot for a lead ball carrier yeah and even though Presley doesn't have any NFL pedigree to go on we know that he's a speedy guy from college we know that he tore up well played well in the AAF last spring so there's something to go on here so I, I like him in consideration yes anything else from the DC side 
Um, I had tight end Kari Lee down here just as a consideration. 3900 bucks on DraftKings this week. Had just one target last week. It did go for a 39-yard touchdown. He was on the field for 97% of DC snaps. Ran a pass route on 61% of uh, Cardell Jones' dropback. So he's, he's playing a pretty decent role, and he's cheap enough where I think he's an option. But, I mean, if you're picking between cheap DC pass catchers, I would still prefer DeAndre Tompkins over Kari Lee. Yeah, for me, I... I would probably fade Lee this week, especially with the team a home favorite and not having thrown a lot last week. I think that that touchdown is going to inflate his ownership here more than it would have during like the NFL season. The playing time is definitely there, but I I don't know. I guess we'll see. Yeah, I mean, if if you think he's going to be at all popular, I would definitely fade him. But buying into DC in general, I think is a good idea. Yes, definitely. Tampa Bay Vipers at Seattle Dragons on Saturday at 5 p.m., The Vipers are three-point road favorites in this one, of course. You know, who knows exactly how much these lines are based on reality at this point. But Aaron Murray, the starting quarterback for the Vipers, got a foot injury. He's apparently likely to miss the game. That's according to Pro Football Doc, according to XFL News Hub. So, you know, keep an eye on that if you are deciding on lineups because of that. We can't guarantee that that's going to happen. But it looks like Aaron Murray is not going to play in this game. And that would probably mean that Taylor Cornelius is the starting quarterback for the Vipers. Yeah, I don't know a whole lot about Taylor Cornelius. To me, Tampa was the biggest disappointment in week one. I mean, the team we were excited about basically because of Mark Tressman. They did not have a good offensive performance. They, you know, they did. Tampa did average 5.5 yards per play, which was actually second best in the league in week one. You know, they, they just couldn't. They they missed on a couple fourth downs. You know, they, they weren't good in the red zone. So I think there's still plenty of reason for optimism here. Um, and Cornelius, if he gets a start, he is 6,700 bucks. So, you know, he is super cheap. But again, the way the pricing is in the XFL right now on DraftKings, I don't know if, if you need those savings. Yeah, the reason that I would be looking to get a little bit of Cornelius here is not so much because of his salary, but because I'm still betting on Mark Tressman. I mean, like you mentioned, they did get yardage last week. They failed near the goal line. They were, I believe it was 0 for 4 in goal to go situations. So they were moving the ball. They got in the red zone. They just didn't score any points. Aaron Murray was awful and they were still moving the ball. Taylor Cornelius, I, I don't know him well either, but he did. He backed up Mason Rudolph for three years at Oklahoma State, started as a senior in 2018. In that one season, he had 8.2 yards per pass attempt, 32 touchdowns versus just 13 picks. He's also more of a runner than Aaron Murray, had 406 rushing yards in his starting season, and then posted a 72nd percentile 40-yard dash among quarterbacks at six foot six, 224. So I think at the very least, Cornelius has more fantasy upside than what we have in Aaron Murray at this point. And I, I was giving Aaron Murray the benefit of the doubt heading into last week because, you know, after camp, Mark Tressman chose him to be the starter. But Aaron Murray now was, has, has stunk in the AAF. He stunk in week one in the XFL. So I think that it's not out of the realm of possibility that the Vipers show this week, if Aaron Murray does miss the game, they show that they're better off without him at this point. Yeah, Murray was bad in week one. So, you know, Cornelius could definitely be an upgrade. It's tough to see him being much of a downgrade. The other concern with him is Quinton Flowers, who is still listed third on Tampa's quarterback depth chart. But he he was already mixing in last week. It seemed like he started to get on the field more in the second half. So, you know, we'll see if that continues. And that would obviously, you know, eat into Taylor Cornelius's time on the field. Yeah, the foot injury makes it tough to gauge how much Flowers was the plan and how much of it was reaction to Murray hurting flowers. I know came in for their last possession of the game. So I'd have to assume that that was after Murray got hurt. I don't know exactly when he did get hurt and they, they ran the ball a lot more in the second half than they did the first in the first half Tampa Bay went 
27 pass plays versus just five runs. And then the second half, they went 26 run plays versus just 14 passes. And that's including sack from the passing side. I would assume that they'll do a little bit more running with Aaron Murray out since he was working as their starting quarterback. But there is still, I think, passing upside over what they did in the second half last week. Yeah, again, that week one was funky. I mean, I think we expected this to be one of the past heavier teams in the league, and Tampa ended up actually being the third run heaviest offense in week one, despite losing that game. So I do think that had something to do with either, you know, one, Murray's play, or two, the foot injury, or probably some combination of both. So, you know, I, I'm still optimistic about this offense in general. Um, I also say if for some reason we hear that Quentin Flowers is going to get the start, 7500 bucks on DraftKings, he'd probably become my favorite quarterback play just because of this offense and because of his rushing ability. Yeah, I mean, he was a terrific running quarterback in college, but also an efficient passing quarterback in college. Kind of surprised, honestly, that he's not just the backup plan for them. He should be, I think. Elsewhere on that team, Devion Smith, you know, we mentioned that they ran more than we expected in week one. I would have to assume, again, like I said, that losing their starting quarterback does not hurt their chances of running in this one. And Devion Smith was one of the few running backs that we could count on for touches Mm -hmm. last week. He ranked fourth among all running backs in the XFL in snap share in week one, despite his team losing by 20 points. Saw just one target versus three for backfield mate Jock Patrick, but Smith ran 21 routes to Patrick's 14, so I still think Smith's probably the better bet for targets. Um, And there were just three other running backs in the league that ran more routes than Smith did. Only Nick Holly ran a route on a higher percentage of his team's pass plays. So for me, Devion Smith is one of the very few running backs I would consider paying up for. Yep, I agree. Devion Smith definitely in play. Um, Per PFF, Smith led the league in yards after contact in week one, led the league in uh, broken tackles with 10 in week one. So you could definitely argue he was the best running back in the XFL in week one. And again, I think that that price at 7,500 bucks is still pretty easy to fit into lineups. Mm-hmm. Wide receiver Daniel Williams was one of just two wide receivers in the league who played every snap in week one, drew a team high nine targets. Obviously, he's in play. His price is way up from 3000 to 7600 Still think you can fit that in. Yep. Uh, he posted the third highest pass catcher score among week one. I say pass catcher because, you know, we, we wrap wide receivers and tight ends together in most places here. Yeah, super encouraging week one for Williams with the 100% route rate, 25% of Tampa's targets. I think Jalen Tolliver is probably the better pure value among Tampa wide receivers because he's 3900 bucks on DraftKings. He ran around on 95% of Tampa's dropbacks. Tolliver saw eight targets, so he trailed Williams by just one there. Didn't, didn't have nearly as productive a game, just three catches for 47 yards. But the usage was there for Tolliver. So, again, I think Tolliver and Williams both in play. Tolliver, half the price, so you sort of have to call him the better value. Yeah, Reese Horn right around the same price as Tolliver, but he played 70% of the passing snaps. So still solid playing time, saw five targets, but you got to put him behind Williams and Tolliver. And there's still Nick Truesdell in the mix there. And at 6700 he's much more expensive than the two wideouts we just mentioned. But, you know, we keep talking about the pricing, and I don't think that 6,700 versus 39 or 3,800 mm-hmm. is a reason to stop using the guy. Truesdell was right at playing time level with Jalen Tolliver and Daniel Williams last week. He ran fewer routes than the receivers, spent more time blocking in week one. Mm-hmm. I have to wonder if maybe having a more mobile quarterback back there in week two frees up Truesdell to run a few more routes this time. Yeah, it definitely could. You know, I thought his usage was encouraging. I still wish he was a bit cheaper. Like, uh, I think I'd rather play Daniel Williams. I'd rather play Jalen Tolliver um, over Truesdell at this point. 
Uh, note too that Seattle Tampa's uh, opponent in this game got torched by uh, the DC defenders and Cardell Jones in Week One through the air. So uh, I I do think it's you know possible again. I don't want to put too much into defense yet, but I I think it could mm-hmm. be a good matchup here for the Tampa passing game. Mm-hmm. And I'll I'll say for all these guys, the reason the real reason that I'm interested in all of them from an offense that scored three points in its debut. <laughs> is one game is not nearly enough for me to stop betting on Mark Tressman. So any Viper that I use and the reason that I would like to make lineups that include multiple Vipers is I I still believe that Mark Tressman is at least one of, if not the best offensive coach in this league. Yeah. I mean, he, he needs to find his quarterback, but if he, if if he can do that, I, I still believe in this offense. On the Seattle side, their quarterback, Brandon Silvers, is dealing with an ankle injury, missed Tuesday, missed Wednesday, so it doesn't seem very likely that he's going to play this week. He threw for three touchdowns in week one, also threw two picks, though, and drew the worst passing grade and worst overall grade among week one quarterbacks from Pro Football Focus. I mean, I don't know if the Dragons will be better off, but I know that fantasy owners would be much better off if B.J. Daniels could be the starting quarterback this week. Oh yeah, definitely hoping for Daniels. His passing numbers were sort of mediocre at South Florida, but he ran for over 2,000 yards and 25 touchdowns over his four seasons starting there, so he definitely gave us that rushing upside. Yeah, third best pre-draft 40 time among all XFL quarterbacks behind only Josh Johnson and Tyreek Jackson. I think he would be intriguing. He's 8000 bucks on DraftKings, so you're not going to get a whole lot of savings. That's 10th on the slate, though, 13th in QB price on the FanDuel combined slate. Again, I think the rushing stuff is what makes BJ Daniels interesting here. I don't know that you need to worry about stacking him with anybody if you do end up using him. Yeah, I definitely agree there. Um, a note here, too, um, Tampa Bay was the got the lowest team defense grade from Pro Football Focus in Week 1. So, you know, again, just one week, but it, it looks like this this is a good matchup for Seattle. Mm-hmm. At wide receiver for Seattle, Kaysen Williams, still not practicing Wednesday. Uh, still not practicing Thursday, I believe, from what I saw. Um, but, you know, I have to watch the injury report. Dealing with a quad injury, missed Week 1. He's listed as a starter on the depth chart. So it, whenever he returns, it could uh, shake up the playing time for other guys, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen this week. So that should at least help Keenan Reynolds and Austin Prohl. Yeah, and Austin Prohl was, you know, the, the big producer here in week one. Um, 10 targets, so 24% target share. That's nice. Caught five balls for 88 yards and two scores. So I, I imagine Prohl's going to be popular this week. Um, he has 9,200 bucks. He was on the field for 70% of the snaps, ran her out on 75% of Brandon Silver's dropbacks. Both those marks actually trailed Keenan Reynolds. You know, they're, they're okay playing time. You can continue to produce with that type of playing time. But I think just that fact that, you know, he wasn't a full-time player and his price tag, I think Prohl someone I'm probably going to fade because he's going to be popular this week. Yeah, and I think especially when you combine that with the expectation heading in that Seattle was going to be one of the worst teams mm-hmm. and the just the shakiness of the offense. We don't know who's playing quarterback for them. I, I agree. I, I'll fade Prohl. And with Keenan Reynolds, you like that he had seven targets, that he was expected to be their top target at wide receiver, and he played 65 of their 69 offensive snaps. So he has the profile of a guy where you say mm-hmm. he's going to catch the ball more. That said, maybe this is just confirmation bias, but I was concerned about him going in. You know, he had one total catch between college and the NFL because he has never been a wide receiver before right now. And then he only catches two of his seven targets in week one. So, you know, again, maybe it's confirmation bias for me, but I'm going to wait. I'm going to have to wait and see that Keenan Reynolds is actually a wide receiver before I'm paying for him at any price. Yeah, I'm with you there. He's a guy I'll just continue to monitor, but you know, at 6,300 bucks, he, he's not cheap enough, especially in a passing game that I'm not super optimistic about in general. 
And Seattle backfield is, is muddled as well and is going to be one that I'll probably pass over to. Jaquan Gardner listed as the starter. He led the team with nine carries last week. Again, that's just nine carries, though. Kenneth Farrow, Trey Williams each played more snaps than he did. They split nine targets, five for Williams, four for Farrow, zero for Gardner. So all told, I'm not playing any of them. No, either am I. It's a, it's a you know three-man committee. It seems like Gardner is... The slight favorite for carries, but you have Farrow and Williams doing the passing game stuff. Gardner remains the cheapest on DraftKings, which is a little surprising. But again, with that lack of passing game usage, he's still not someone I'm interested in. Dallas Renegades at Los Angeles Wildcats on Sunday at 3. The Renegades are road favorites by 4 points. Landry Jones might be back for Dallas. Limited practice Wednesday. Philip Nelson was the starter in his place in Week 1. Was decent. Through a league-high 79% completions, but just 5.1 yards per pass attempt, which was the league low, and zero touchdowns, one interception. Yeah, I mean, I think Dallas's offense was right there with Tampa as one of the more disappointing units of Week 1, you know, based on our expectations for them. I do like, though, that Dallas was 80% pass in Week 1. That was a league-high, and that's you know, sort of what we expected under Hal Mummy. So, assuming Landry Jones is back now, I think this is an offense you could sort of see break out in Week 2. Yeah, and again, you'll have to watch the injury news into the weekend if you are starting him. But I think Landry Jones could be a, a big chip to play in fantasy this yep. weekend. Dallas had seven wide receivers or tight ends play between 23 and 38 snaps. None of them played more than that. So it's really spread around. Jeff Bidette led the group as expected, but he ran around on just 65% of the dropbacks, saw four targets. So again, Stuff was really spread around in that wide receiver core. Makes it a little bit dangerous to rely too heavily on anybody. Yeah, which sucks. I kind of want to target this offense, and I want to use Landry Jones, and I obviously I'm going to want to stack him. But I don't know who to stack him with because, like you said, it was like a six-wide receiver rotation. None of them were especially productive. A lot of Philip Nelson's passes were you know short-range stuff. I do wonder if they'll start to go deeper with Landry Jones back if he is back this week. So I mean, that'd be good news for Badat, who is the speed guy. But at 8700 bucks, you know, I think you're, you're sort of gambling if you're going to use him this week. Yeah, I think if the salary makes sense uh, when you're building lineups, Jeff Bidette is the top receiver to go for there. I think the most intriguing guy, though, is somebody that you picked out last week, and we were a little apprehensive because of what the depth chart said. Mm-hmm. But Donald Parham, who is a tight end, matched Jeff Bidette in total routes in week one, proved that we don't need to worry about Sean Price being ahead of him on the depth chart, saw a team high six targets. He's up a little bit in salary this week, but he's still just 3,200 bucks. So plenty cheap enough to fit in there and get, you know, higher priced guys at at whatever other position that you might be able to count on more for opportunities. Uh, I, I think Donald Parham and Landry Jones is the stack here. Yeah, I think I'm with you that Parham would be my my top stack with Landry Jones. I'm sort of interested in, in Jazz Ferguson too. I mean, he's five thousand bucks on DraftKings, so he's not super cheap, but you know, he's plenty easy to fit in. Played forty percent of the snaps in Week One, ran her out on thirty five percent of Philip Nelson's dropbacks. I, I think that role might grow though. Remember, he was on the injury report last week, so maybe he wasn't a hundred percent. Maybe he you know just wasn't up to speed with a game plan or whatever because of the injury. So. I'm at least going to monitor Jazz Ferguson and see if that playing time does climb. I still think there's a chance he emerges as the top wide receiver in Dallas. Yeah, and I mean, like I said, when things are this spread around, I don't think it makes sense to just like jump in on any one guy here. You want to sprinkle it around a little bit and see what happens. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you could definitely just play Landry Jones and not stack him with any of these guys. I'm honestly surprised that this team is favored because over on the L.A. side, 
The Wildcats should be getting Josh Johnson back, their starting quarterback. He's been a limited practice participant this week. And again, it looks like it's trending toward him playing. Yeah, um, 10400 bucks on DraftKings. I think I'm probably going to stay away from Josh Johnson. His first week back coming off a leg injury, I don't know if his mobility is going to be limited. But you know, he should definitely be a pretty significant upgrade for this offense over Charles Knopf. If I'm looking to set one or two lineups, I can do that. But I, if I'm setting more than that, I don't think I can go into this weekend without some Josh Johnson because I still think that he's probably the best quarterback in this league. And I think he's in a spot where he can produce. Chad Kenoff posted the second best QB score fantasy points wise last week, did have a rushing touchdown, edged Cardale Jones in fantasy points. I think Josh Johnson, anybody would, I don't think anybody would argue that Josh Johnson brings more upside than Kenoff. So, I mean, in a solid spot to produce, assuming that he is healthy enough. Yeah, Kanoff, by the way, missed practice on Wednesday with shoulder and head injury. So if he's out and uh, Josh Johnson can't go, it'd be Jalen McClendon for LA, who's just 6500 bucks, And I believe he has some rushing upside. Yeah, but then I think we would all jump on the Renegades defense. Yes, for sure. Uh, at wide receiver for the Wildcats, Saeed Blacknall is not practicing Wednesday. He's got a thigh issue. He led all non-quarterback skill guys among Wildcats in snaps played and trailed Nelson Spruce by just two routes in week one. Saw only four targets to Spruce's 15, but again, the playing time was there. So if Blacknall is out this week and we'll have to keep an eye on him leading up to game time, that could boost the profiles of Adonis Jennings and -hmm. Jordan Smallwood, who are the next two wideouts in playing time. Yeah, I actually watched most of LA's first game and Smallwood sort of stood out to me. He's just, he's a big dude and he he caught a red zone touchdown in that game. You know, saw seven targets despite only playing 58% of the snap. So he's a guy even at 6,900 bucks that I'd be interested in, um, especially if Blacknell's out. Jennings actually sits ahead of Blacknall on the depth chart at the same position. You know, who knows yet what that means, but also at 3000 bucks, he's a guy that you can stash in there that could be in for a big boost in targets in this game, especially if it goes the way that the Vegas line says and LA is playing from behind. Yeah, definitely. I think if you do a Josh Johnson lineup, it's attractive to try a three player stack with Wildcats. You get, you know, whatever pass catcher you like. And I think Elijah Hood is still in play. He's disappointed last week versus what he cost on DraftKings, and he's down a thousand bucks this week, still at sixty five hundred, which again is toward the top of the board at running back. But the reason that I still like him is because of the playing time more so than the usage. He Mm -hmm. led all running backs in total week one snaps. He saw zero targets versus two for teammate Larry Rose and one for Duquan Harris, but Hood played 38 total passing down snaps, according to PFF, including 24 routes. Larry Rose, by comparison, played 14 passing down snaps, ran only 11 routes. So I think there is a pretty good chance that Elijah Hood gets more passing game usage this week than he did in week one. Yeah, I'm definitely still interested in Hood, um, especially with that price drop. You know, he's cheaper than Jarrell Presley, he's cheaper than Davion Smith. So like you said, the production wasn't great, but the usage was solid, you know, despite the zero targets. I agree. I think, you know, he, he should start to see, you know, two or three targets per game going forward. Um, Hood also forced the second most missed tackles um, last week, five. So he played well, even if the rushing production wasn't there. And as I mentioned, third and running back price on DraftKings. But when you combine that with the other positions, 17th, and yeah. flex position salary. So a lot easier to, to fit, to justify Elijah Hood going into one of the two flex spots. Yeah. DeWan Harris also dealing with an ankle injury. He didn't practice on Wednesday. So, you know, if he's out, that would probably free up a few extra touches for Elijah Hood. 
St. Louis Battlehawks at the Houston Roughnecks to close out the weekend on Sunday at 6. The Roughnecks are 8-point home favorites. I, honestly, that seems excessive for any matchup in this league that was just born. But nevertheless, we'll go with the St. Louis running backs. Matt Jones and Keith Ford both missed practice Wednesday with knee injuries. Jared, if either <laughs> or both of those guys is out, and especially if Matt Jones is out, are you going to try some Christian Michael? I think you have to just for volume and price. I mean, he's down to 5,300 bucks now after what was a disaster of a week one for Christian Michael, seven carries for zero yards, lost a fumble. And they had one, he had one catch for negative one yard. So that's eight total touches for negative one yard. It, it was ugly. But again, if Matt Jones is out, if Keith Ford is out, they kind of have to give the ball to Christian Michael. And he's cheaper than these other running backs we mentioned. Um, St. Louis also, League high 59% run rate in week one. We, we sort of guessed this was going to be you know, one of, if not the run heaviest offenses in the league heading into the XFL. Through week one, it definitely looks that way. Yeah, I think defense helped them, and they were certainly playing from ahead for a decent amount of that game. So we'll, we'll see how much. But yeah, we expect plenty of running. I could see throwing in a Christian Michael lineup, but I, I will not feel good about it. For sure. Bad week one. Still eighth in running back price again. Fits better if you look at him in a flex spot. Keith Ford, by the way, scored a touchdown, but he only played six total snaps. So if he is healthy, he would be a player to avoid at this point. If I'm, you know, again, if I'm making a bunch of lineups, I can see doing a Christian Michael lineup. But in general, I would rather pay for Elijah Hood, Devion Smith, and probably even Jarrell Presley before I would pay for Christian Michael. Yeah, I mean, that's fair, especially you know, like we said, the pricing isn't super tight. So that extra thousand or fifteen hundred bucks isn't hard to get. I'll say too, if if this knee injury for Matt Jones turns out to be nothing, I think he is the best running back play on the slate at fifty nine hundred bucks. He had a league high twenty-two opportunities in week one. He had twenty-one carries and one target. He was on the field for sixty-four percent of St. Louis's snaps, thirty-eight percent route rate. So the usage was all there for Matt Jones, and he played pretty well. So if he's healthy, um, it definitely looks like he's the lead back here. I think Matt Jones's playing time might have finally been the most damning thing against Christian Michael ever in any league. <laughs> I mean, it's Matt Jones. <laughs> I got to agree. Jordan Te'amu, the St. Louis quarterback, had a nice debut, especially running the ball. He's a fine option this week, a fair price, but he is also going against a Houston team that led the league with 10 quarterback hits and five sacks in week one. Yeah, and Houston also received a top team defense grade from PFF, so it does look like a tougher matchup for Jordan Tamu. Uh, he's he's on the road again, second straight road game, but he 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 played well to me. He was second in Pro Football Focus's passing grades, twenty of twenty seven for two hundred nine yards, a touchdown, and then had the you know seventy seven rushing yards on nine carries. So you know he, he can add some rushing ability too. For me, the most interesting battle hawk this week is LaDamian Washington. Way down in salary at 4,400 on DK. The targets were spread around the offense. There were four guys that got four to six targets on this team. Washington led that group in playing time by quite a bit, though, by 12 total snaps, by five pass routes. He was one of just four players in the league to run a pass route on 100% of his team's dropbacks. Saw five targets, caught all five for just 20 yards, so it was short stuff to him. But it was also... It looked like the team trying to get the ball to LaDamian Washington and let him create a play. It didn't result in anything big in this one, but if they're going to keep trying to feed him the ball like that, I think it's going to work out at some point. And league-wide, there were eight players who ran a route on 90-plus percent of their team's 
passing snaps last week, mm-hmm. five of those guys saw at least seven targets. So I think yeah. if those th- if it keeps going this way for Washington, I think we'll see more targets for him. And he does have the downfield speed, averaged 17.4 yards per catch in college. Right. I mean, if if I was just projecting these four St. Louis wide receivers, I, I would project Dam- Damian Washington for the most fantasy points in week two. And he's actually the cheapest among these four guys. So he's easily my favorite wide receiver play on this team. And he's, he's one of my favorite wide receiver plays on the slate, I think, just based on that usage and his $4,400 price tag. I agree. On the Houston side, James Butler was arguably the biggest week one surprise. He and Nick Holly dominated backfield playing time over Andre Williams and D'Angelo Henderson. Butler was the leading rusher, but only carried nine times among 17 total run plays for the team. So this team was pass heavy mm-hmm. as we expected under June Jones. Butler scored two touchdowns, one rushing, one receiving, but he also only went nine for 30 rushing and saw two targets versus Nick Holly's five. So for me, James Butler is a big fade this week. Yeah. The biggest question to me on the week two slate is what to do with Houston, because I think they're going to be super popular after what we saw in week one. So I wonder, you know, just based on that and the fact that it's only been one week and it's this brand new league and all these guys' prices are way up too. They're not cheap anymore. I wonder if just sort of fading this offense in general makes sense. I think it does. I mean, especially because we're learning about all these guys. You know, I don't... As good as P.J. Walker was and as long a track record as June Jones has, I don't think that you can look at this and say, oh, this paid off just like we expected and they're going to keep rolling like this. Maybe they do, but I don't. I think it's too early to say that. Yeah, no, I, I think that's the way I'm leaning to. Um, if I am going to play a guy on this team, though, it probably would be Nick Holly, um, just to, you know, kind of almost get that running back position out of the way. You're basically getting a wide receiver at a running back slot for 4,800 bucks. Um, Holly ran her out on 64% of the dropbacks last week, had those five targets, didn't have a single carry. So again, you know, you're, he basically played slot receiver for Houston. I think using a slot receiver in your running back spot might actually make sense the way this league is trending so far. Yeah, I would probably rather skip this backfield overall, but I agree. I would play Nick Holly easily over James Butler um, because of the passing game usage. And, you know, it's looking like it's going to be a pass-leaning league. And, of course, June Jones is a pass-leaning coach, so lean for the, the passing guy here. At wide receiver for Houston, Sammy Coates went full Sammy Coates in week one. Nine targets, tying for the team lead, caught two of them, caught and, and saw five deep balls, which was most, not only on the team, but most in the league for the week. Yeah, Sammy Coates and Christian Michael literally might have been like the two worst players in this league in week one. Aaron Murray said home review. That's true, that's true. It's a very very sad state of affairs, though. But that being said, I might go back to Sammy Coates this week just because that usage was so good. He had the nine targets. A few of those were downfield. He had an end zone target. I don't know. Maybe the guy just sucks, but if you're going to give me that type of usage, and I think he's going to be low-owned after disappointing so many people and the fact that he's still priced all the way up at um, $9,500, I think he's an interesting tournament play. Yeah, I mean, Sammy Coates absolutely sucks, but the <laughs> usage is why you go back to him because all he has to do is catch one of those deep balls. You know, if he finishes that game with three catches and one of them is a 40-yard touchdown, then he's one of the top-scoring wide receivers for the week. Right. So I think we've spent all this time mentioning how the the salaries don't matter that much. So I think it is easier to get a $9,500 receiver into the lineup, even if he does suck, if he's going to get... <laughs> targets on a team that throws the ball a lot and we know that they'll target him downfield now you'll have to play sammy Coates over likely teammates khalil lewis and cam phillips both of those guys i believe spent actually uh it was cam phillips then Coates, then khalil lewis i believe yep. in, in playing time 
but they were close, and Cam Phillips was the top guy. Matched Sammy Coates' nine targets, saw three deep balls of his own, ran 13 more routes than Coates. So for me, especially with, with Cam Phillips at 8,400, he would be my first play among Houston wideouts here. Yes, I think Cam Phillips definitely the top wide receiver play here for Houston. Um, 100% snap rate for him in the opener, like you said, tied with Coates for the team lead with nine targets and, and was the most productive receiver, four catches, 67 yards, and a touchdown. He still, for whatever reason, is the cheapest of these three Houston wide receivers on DraftKings. And for what it's worth, Sam Mobley, another receiver, drew another two deep balls. So they were throwing deep to everybody in this game. And he's dealing with a hip injury this week. Don't know if that's going to keep him from playing. But if he doesn't play, you know, maybe that's a couple more deep balls to get freed up to go to somebody. And if they go to Cam Phillips, they'd go to somebody who can catch him. Yeah, again, I, mean, I think that this Houston offense, to me, was the best offense in the league in week one. So it's like, you know, are, are they going to be this juggernaut all year long? Or was, you know, week one just sort of more of an anomaly? So I think that's that's sort of the first question you need to answer when you start building your, your week two lineups. Yeah, I think tossing one of these wide receivers, like getting shares of these receivers in various lineups is attractive given who their coach is and yep. what we saw from them in week one. And given that P.J. Walker just looked excellent in week one. Yep, a 71% pass rate for Houston in, in week one, which was the second highest in the league. So, you know, they, they did go pass heavy as we expected them to. Mm-hmm. P.J. Walker is now the most expensive quarterback on DraftKings for week two. I think he's still in play, but obviously he's going to be very popular as well. Yeah, in play, um, you know, I think if I was ranking these guys just in terms of raw fantasy points, I'd probably have him one, but he's going to be popular, like you said. He's most expensive. Um, I think just, you know, factoring in price and ownership, I prefer Cardell Jones. And I probably prefer Landry Jones, assuming he plays. Yeah, I mean, with Landry Jones and Josh Johnson both returning this week, I think it's it's worth noting that the quarterback chart could just get stronger this week with two yeah. teams getting back their expected starters. Definitely. And, I mean, we talked about some of the running guys earlier. We could easily see guys sneak in fantasy-wise the way that Canoff did last week, the way that McGloin padded his stats with some rushing numbers, speaking of, like, B.J. Daniels uh, and Taylor Cornelius. Yeah, I mean, and if you're if you're playing DFS, you sort of you got to be committed and you got to be keeping an eye on all these injury issues because I think there are quite a few that are going to impact things this week. That's going to do it for this week two XFL podcast. Good luck to you if you live in a state that lets you play XFL fantasy this weekend. I'll be planning to try to jump in while I'm on the road away from authoritarian New York. If you're <laughs> jumping into best ball drafts outside of the XFL. Make sure you check out Jared's early rankings now on DraftSharks.com. We'll be doing some early ADP reactions next week, and then following soon after that with our annual Dynasty Prospect Profile Series. In the meantime, you can also find us on Twitter, probably not commenting on fights about leaning your seat back on the airplane, but we'll be happy to talk football with you. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShoutDS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Shaw saying thanks so much for swimming with us.